0: was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. See this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste, and found Mary and Joseph... And the child, lying in the manger. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, We often think of the Bible as a collection of stories. Noah and the Ark, David and Goliath, Queen Esther, Peter and Paul, and, of course, Jesus. But we can miss how the stories in the Bible are really just chapters in a much deeper and more beautiful story that still continues today with us. Beginning next weekend, we'll make our way through the grand story of the Bible in our Fall Connecting series. We invite you to join us on Tuesday evenings during the series to dig deeper into the beauty of God's story through discussion tables here at the church from 6.30 to 8 p.m. Free child care is available. For more information on the series or to register for a discussion table, visit us at the Hub following this service. There you go. How are you doing tonight? You look great. I'm Greg Boyd, teaching pastor here. So uh, uh, this is going to be an awesome. We've never done anything quite like this. This is really unique, uh, as was joked about last week and the week before. It usually takes us seven years to get through a book of the Bible, sometimes a year to get through a passage, and we're going to do the whole Bible here in six weeks. Um, and and the goal is just to give a, a an overview of the story and to and to see how we fit into that story. Uh, Where you realize that that a lot of folks don't have, you know, they can't connect the dots, you know, the, the big picture kind of a thing. So it's going to be very instructive, very informative, I think, very impacting. Uh, I really would encourage you uh, to uh, participate in these table discussions that we're going to be having on Tuesday nights. It's a way to just uh, go deeper with it, and it's a way to get to know other people. So um, if you're interested in that, sign up. Go out to, at the hub after the service. Tell them you're interested in that and sign up. And these things will be starting here in just a couple of weeks. Uh, we're gonna be having a conference here called Faith, Doubt, and the Idol of Certainty. I have a book that is now, just now coming out called Benefit of the Doubt. Uh, we're really looking at the concept of faith. Uh, how a lot of people have messed up ideas about what faith is. They think faith is the opposite of doubt. And it's about how to, how to struggle with doubt in creative and in productive ways and, uh, how to wrestle with the faith and how to ground your faith and all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, so this conference is, is, is basically based on that book. Uh, Faith, doubt, and the idol of certainty. Um, and if you if you want to come to that conference, it'll be on on September twenty seventh and twenty eighth. You get a free book with the conference, so don't buy the book and then come to the conference. Just unless you want two books, but the, you get the book with it. It's an awesome book. It'll be an awesome conference. So you want to be a part of that? It starts Friday night uh, six thirty, and it goes uh, to three o'clock on Saturday. All right, two thousand thirteen. They'll be fun. and then on on uh, uh, also on Friday night. Um, at the end of the first session of this conference, we're having a party here, kind of a book-release party. Uh, the world-famous band, NDY, not dead yet, not world-famous, not even that good, but we have a lot of fun. And, and so we're going to be hosting a party here, kind of a dance concert sort of thing. And everyone's invited to that, and it's uh, free, and kids can come, and all of that. So mark that out, uh, February 27th, uh, that starts at 8.15, and we're going to have a blast. Tell your friends about it. So um, we have been talking about prayer the last half of the summer um and i want to wrap up that series on prayer by uh, t- tonight uh, talking about worship it's a topic we come back to with some frequency because we are are passionate about this a lot of people see worship corporate worship singing and stuff as just sort of a kind sort of a sing along that is a prelude to the sermon kind of a an addendum not really central but our conviction here has been from the start that, that worship, making a joyful noise unto the Lord, is a central aspect of what we are called to, to do and called to be as kingdom people. And so we come back to this topic with some frequency, and that's what we're going to be uh, looking at tonight. And then we're going to go into a t- another time of worship, and we'll be having communion and a prayer as a, as a part of that. So we're entitling this message, His Song in Our Heart. His Song in Our Heart. And so pray with me here for a moment. Abba Father, I, th- I thank you, God, that you are the God that we just sang about. Um, you're strong and mighty tower. You're a refuge. You're a strength. Uh, God, you're the one who has pursued us and rescued us, saved us, had mercy on us, restores us, and transforms us. And uh, all eternity will not begin to exhaust um, your love for us and our gratitude Towards you, I pray, God, that, that tonight you, you teach us, instruct us about what worship is and how important it is, how central it is, uh, and how we, how, how, how we minister to you and you minister to us. And I pray, God, that the, the coin would fall in the slot and you'd open our eyes to see this, maybe in ways that we've never seen before. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Fill this place in your reality and in your power. Make this a kingdom moment in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. 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 I've said this at least 100 times here in the last 20 years, but worship is about ascribing worth to God. And when you think of worship, you can just think of worth-shipping. We're shipping worth. We're ascribing worth to God. And so worship is, is just a way of saying, God, here's your worth. Here's your value. Here's what you mean to us. It's ascribing worth to God. Now, the most important thing to know about worship is that it's not just about singing songs, not not by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, the goal of a disciple should be to make every aspect of our life an act of worship, to have everything that we do ascribe worth to our God, Uh, to put on display the truth that he is uh, first and foremost in our life. Paul says it this way in Romans 12 too. he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in light of how God had mercy on us, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So here Paul is saying everything we do in our bodies is to be a, a, a sacrifice, something that exalts God. We are to be a kingdom people who live, an imitation of Jesus Christ, which is to live self-sacrificially. And so we worship God by the ways that we don't conform to the culture. We worship God by how we spend our money. We worship God by, by, by how we do our thoughts. We worship God by how we treat our neighbors. We worship God by how we respond to, to, to aggressors and to, to gossipers and those who are out to, to do us harm. We are to worship God in every aspect of our life. As I said several weeks ago, The goal of the disciple is to break down the compartments of our life, where we have the secular over here and the sacred over here, and and our our job is to make it all sacred because, in fact, it is, because we are in the temple at all times, and the temple is in us at all times. We are the temple of God, and we're in God and in Christ, and so the goal is to sanctify every moment, to stay awake to, to, to the presence of God at every moment, and insofar as we do that, we are worshiping God, we're ascribing worth to God putting on display the fact that he's first and foremost in our life. So our whole life is to be an act of worship. We don't take a break from worshiping to sing, to the song kind of worship. Rather, we should just be transitioning from one form of worship to another. You following me on this? Now, having said that, there is in the Bible, throughout the Bible, a distinct kind of worship that involves music and song. You find right from the beginning, people making music to the Lord. It's a way of expressing in song His worth to us. Uh, it's a natural thing when you're in love to sing and to sing to another. We say you, you, you have her song or His song in your heart. And it's God places His heart in ours and His song in ours. And, and, and so it's when we, what we're doing as we sing back to Him is we're, we're participating in His love. It's, it's a, a natural expression of his love for us and our love for him. And it's important. And we'll see here tonight that that God has just wired that into the kingdom as as a central thing that we're to be a part of. Central thing that we're we're to be doing. It's not just a sing along. It's it's uh it, it's it's something much 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 more profound than that. Uh People use a lot of different kind of languages to describe the different kinds of worship there are. There's a wide diversity of ways that you can, uh, worship God and song. We, we talk about, uh, we, we, we make this distinction between praise and celebration. Praise is, is, uh, we use that word more for the, the kind of songs that are to God. Uh, when the, kind of quiet, tender music. And I sometimes describe it as romancing God. And it's love affair with God. That's praise. Celebration is is more about proclamation. When we sing about God, we declare truths about God. And those tend to be kind of more on the celebratory side. And, and they're a little bit more rowdy. Both are involved in worship. They're just different styles, praise and celebration. Now I want to say a few words about why we worship and, and celebrate and praise the way we do. Well, where that? Some folks who come from traditional backgrounds, they come into church and they see us raising our hands or or hooting and hollering or clapping and or dancing or whatever. And and if you come from certain backgrounds, you'd interpret that maybe as not a very churchy way of acting, maybe even a little sacrilegious. You're disrespecting the house of God. And I want to assure you that everything we do here is rooted in scripture. And so um here's some of the things that the Bible says can characterize our, our worship, our our worship and song. The Bible says, for example, to shout unto God uh, with a voice of triumph. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, burst into jubilant song with music. Uh, and so shouting is very appropriate. You find that all over the place. It's natural when you're excited to shout. Uh, and there's nothing unchurchy about that. That's a, that's a very kingdom thing to do. Or clapping your hands. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. And so throughout Scripture, we find that this is a normal thing. Whether you're doing it in rhythm or whether it's it's after or between songs, uh, it's a way of ascribing worth to God. And by the way, just so you know, when we sometimes clap after a song, we're not congratulating the musicians for being so good. Now, we've got excellent musicians, but they don't need pats on the back to know that. We're we, All of our clapping should be directed towards God. We're saying, yay, God! Thank God for the musicians, but we're not congratulating. This is about God, not about the musicians. Clap your hands, all you people. And then lifting up hands. You find dozens and dozens of verses that say we lift our hands in the sanctuary, we praise the Lord. It's a way of of surrendering to God, and it's a way of exalting the Lord, lifting our hands. And then uh, dancing. You find that throughout the Bible as well. Uh, Praise Him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and the pipe. And so it's appropriate, in ways that don't draw attention to yourself, but to dance and to move, all of that is is uh, when you when you understand who God is, when you understand what he's done for us, when you understand what he means to us, well, it's natural to express it. And sometimes that is going to be quiet and serene and mellow and beautiful. Other times it, it, it should be rowdy and should be loud and it should involve dancing and involving all of our bodies. Sometimes uh, the worship is just instrumental. So we find a psalm like this, praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. The sound of the trumpet, when it's directed towards God, is an act of worship. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the timbrel and the dancing, and the strings and the pipe. And here's my favorite, praise him with the clash of the cymbals. Praise him with the resounding cymbals. If they would have had full drum sets back in those days, he would have got elaborated, I'm sure. And see, that's why it's appropriate sometimes to have musicians just playing. They're not doing solos to show us how good they are. Uh, they're just worshiping God. And so as we, we join with them in worshiping God, uh, making a joyful noise to the Lord. And so all these things that we do are grounded in Scripture. We don't just do them because they're fun, uh, though they are fun. I'm glad that we're in a church that allows for this kind of thing. Uh, but we do it because it's biblical. Now notice that all of these things involve our bodies, and, and they're demonstrative. All these things, they're, they're, they're expressions with our body. Now that goes in it flies in the face of a long tradition in the church uh, that kind of had a demeaning view of of the body and and thought that worship was just about the heart, not the body, uh, even associated things that were done in the body sort of being crass. That's where we get this idea that's undignified to shout and to dance in church uh, you worship God in your heart but not with your body and so we have expressions like Let us worship the Lord in our hearts. But make sure that you don't express it with your voice or your feet or your hands. But see, folks, from a biblical perspective, you can't can't divorce the body from the heart. From a biblical perspective, we're holistic beings. We're body, soul, and spirit. We're all wrapped up in one. And what goes on with one part of us affects the other parts of us. What we do with our body affects our heart, and what is, goes on in the heart needs to be expressed in the body. Uh, you can't divorce those two. In fact, you'll find that if we're allowed to express what's on our heart in our body, it augments, it accentuates what's in our heart. For example, I'm sure you found this. If you go to a football game and you're committed to being quiet... You won't nearly as much get into it as if you're shouting along with everybody else. When you participate in it, it it, it increases your excitement in the game. It's no different than when we're worshiping God. You'll find sometimes that if, if there's joy in your heart and you shout for joy, it increases your joy. Uh, if you lift your hands and surrender, it can intensify your sense of being surrendered. If you lift your hands to exalt God, you can find it; it increases your sense of exalting God. If you clap your hands uh, for for joy, it intensifies your joy. If you kneel in reverence, it can intensify your sense of reverence. What we do with our body affects affects our our spirit, our heart, and and what's on our heart needs to be expressed with our body. And this is why we encourage people to be free. In expressing what's on their heart. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody is supposed to get rowdy. People are, are different. People, some people are extroverted, some people are introverted, some people are quiet, some people are loud. Some of that's cultural. You know, Scandinavians have always tended to be a little bit more stoic, and, and, and Hmong and Vietnamese cultures tend to be a little more quiet. Uh, African American and Latino cultures tend to be a little more boisterous. On our block, you know, when the, the, the Hmong or the Vietnamese have a party, you can see a lot of cars, but you don't hear anything. Uh, the African Americans or the Latinos have a party; you hear to block away. This is a cultural thing. So, so there's no points given for being rowdy and no points taken from being quiet. People are different, but what's important is that we all have the freedom to express what's on our heart the way that is right for us to express it. There's no one right way to do it, but we've all got to be free to do it in the way that we're supposed to do it. And what is true for everybody is that when we express what's on our heart physically. Through song and clapping and lifting hands and dancing or whatever, it intensifies, or at least it can intensify, what's in our what's in our heart, what's going on in our spirit. And so we encourage people to participate, to pour their whole self into it. This is why this is important: is that worship is all about participation. It it, it can't be done as a spectator sport. Can't. Um, it's about, by definition, worship is about participation. Because we ascribe worth to God by the intensity of our focus on Him. We ascribe worth to God by the degree to which we are poured out completely, body, soul, and spirit, and giving Him praise. Worship, by definition, has got to be passionate and has to involve our whole self. It's like this. If I'm, if I'm talking to somebody and... Um, I'm having an ADD moment and I'm looking around and I'm noticing all the things that are going on around us and whatever. This person is trying to talk to me. Well, what am I communicating to that person? I'm communicating that they're not very important. I'm communicating that all the things going on around us is worth my attention more than they are. Because that's where my attention's going. Uh, it's no different than when, when we come together to worship God. If we come together to worship God and we're thinking about the Vikings game, why you would want to think about that? I don't know, but some people do. you're thinking about the Vikings game, or you're thinking about the luncheon that you got to put on, or you're thinking about the bills that you got to pay, or you're wondering about what's up with the two gals in the row ahead of you that are holding hands if if your mind's all over the place, well, what are you saying there? Are you ascribing worth to God or? What you're doing is you're saying that the Vikings and that luncheon and the bills and the business of these two gals in front of you, that's worth paying attention to more than God. It's kind of rude if you think about it. Worship becomes worship when we make a decision to block out everything else and to focus everything on the one that we're singing to and on what we're singing about. Uh, so that all of our being, all of our, our mind, all of our soul is poured out in one direction. He is worthy of all, so we're worshiping. By definition, we're worshiping him when we're giving him our all. Anything less, to that degree, is simply not worship. Then we're just singing a song. There's a world of difference between singing a song and worship. By definition, it's about having a singular focus. All of our heart, all of our mind, in one direction. And and that is on who we're singing to and what we're singing about. Now, the key to that has to do with our imagination. They said several weeks ago, our imagination, it's, it's just how we think. We think with our imagination. But it's also God's gift. He's given it to us as, as the place where we intersect with the spiritual realm. If you didn't hear that message, I encourage you to get it. Uh, it's living in, in, in communication, it was called. Um, but it's just the way we think. If, if you're thinking about the Vikings, you're imagining the Vikings. You, you've got you've got tapes and, and a soundtrack and a video going on in your head. If you're thinking about the bills, you're you're, you're you're rehearsing that, or the luncheon, or what have you. We think with our imagination. You can't remember anything and you can't anticipate anything without imagining your without using your imagination. It's just how we think. We don't notice that because we're so used to it. But if you sit and reflect on it a little bit, you'll see that it's true. So by definition, to focus all of our mind on the Lord is to focus all of our imagination on the Lord. It's to intentionally decide what you're going to imagine, what you're going to envision. Um, and, and that's what k- helps keep us focused. Uh, it applies to worship, it applies to prayer, it applies to everything. So I, I gave this quote several weeks ago from St. Francis de Sales. He says that, the, the, that by means of the imagination, this is in the 16th century now, by means of the imagination, we confine our mind within the mystery on which we meditate, that it may not ramble to and fro, just as we shut up a bird in a cage or tie a hawk by his leash so that he may rest on the hand. Brilliant insight here, where he's saying that if you intentionally use your imagination when you pray, Envisioning who you're talking to, envisioning what you're talking about—that uh, that is what keeps our mind focused. Otherwise, see, your mind will gravitate towards a million different things. You'll be praying, and you'll be thinking about the Vikings or the grocery list or the or, or the, or the lunch you got to put on. Same thing in worship. Your mind will f- wander all over the place unless we are intentional on focusing our imagination. And so, I encourage us when we enter into worship to to make a decision. To uh, and ask the Holy Spirit to help us envision who we're singing to and what we're singing about. I'll illustrate this just with one song here. Um, here. Here's one that we'll be singing a little bit later on. At the foot of the cross where grace and suffering meet. So envision the cross. And see, the minute you do this, the minute you do this, you enter into the power uh, it becomes real to you and it impacts you. Just now, as I envisioned the cross, I got hit. If I, if I wasn't intentional in envisioning this, it wouldn't have hit me. But it, here's where it hits you. It transforms you. At the foot of the cross. See the cross. See the foot of the cross. Where grace and suffering Vision, Envision the suffering of Jesus. You've shown me your love through the judgment you received. Here's Jesus. In that agonized state, envision him. Envision him. And he's standing in our place, receiving the consequences of sin that we deserved. And that's what expresses his love for us. The intensity of his suffering is what communicates the intensity of his love for us. See it and receive it. Envision it with all five senses, like St. Ignatius says. And you've won my heart, and you've won my heart. And I just envision myself just surrendering myself to him. In light of the beauty that I see, it's like, okay, you win. I give you my heart. You've won my heart. I'll follow you anywhere. And then we're going to sing, now I can trade these ashes in for beauty. Can you see this? Holy Spirit, help us to get a picture of this. Your life is a bunch of ashes. Even our righteousness is as filthy rags, Scripture says. All we've got to offer him are ashes, burned up waste. But that's what he wants, because he loves us. And so we give him our ashes. And in exchange, he gives us his beauty. I don't envision a trade going on there. Here's what I have to, here's what I have to give to you. And he gives us his beauty in exchange. And I wear forgiveness like a crown. (laughs) See, when we enter into it, it hits you. How many times have we sung this song and maybe you didn't really enter into it, so it just didn't move you. But when you enter into it and see it, envision it, hear it, sense it, wear forgiveness like a crown. I see myself There's this crown. Maybe it says forgiveness on it. I'm not ashamed any longer. I'm, 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 I'm wearing it proudly because I'm forgiven. I'm redeemed. There's no regrets in the kingdom. There's no, no room for groveling in the kingdom. No, you wear forgiveness like a crown. As we sing these songs, I encourage us to make a choice. Forget about the Vikings. Forget about people who haven't invited you in on their business. It's none of your business. So just let them go. Forget about the bills. They'll be there when the service is done. Right now, he's worthy of all. And so we make a choice to dive into this and turn your imagination on the one we're singing to and what we're singing about. And the Holy Spirit, man, here's where it becomes real to us. Here's where it impacts us. Here's where it really begins to make a profound difference in our life. Worship is about ascribing Him, the worth that is due Him, and that involves everything. Now, here's why we do that. We do it because He is worthy. And really, worship is just a way of singing what is true. God is the one who is the source of all that is good. He is goodness itself, life itself, beauty itself, love itself, grace itself, mercy itself, everything that is worthwhile, everything that is life-affirming, everything that is, is, is beautiful. He, he is the source of all of it. And so when we're, when we're worshiping and we're just saying these words, we're just saying what is true. You see? So we worship him because he's worthy of that. Not for any other reason. We don't need another reason to do it. It's his song is in our heart. We see the truth, and we want to sing the truth. And then we when we realize what He's done for us, even beyond just who He is, it's what He's done. He's saved us, right? He's redeemed us. He's changed our destiny. I was lost, now I'm found. I was a goner. Now, now I'm in, now, I'm, now I'm redeemed. I'm 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 transformed. I'm in Christ. He's lavished us with every spiritual blessing. When you when you can see and experience the, the truth of what He's done for us. Well, you see, it will take an eternity. He, eternity won't exhaust our gratitude for what He's done for us. So we worship Him not for who He is and for what He's done. But it's also the case that worshiping with all of our heart and mind and body and soul and worshiping freely and expressing it fully, that is the best thing we can do for us. It's good for us. When we worship God, we enter into His presence. The Bible says that He inhabits the praises of His people. When we worship God, we to to the degree that we're focused on him, we become conduits of his presence. It's like in the Old Testament. When when the temple was built, uh, it says that after the temple was done, they were consecrating it, and the musicians started playing, and the glory of God came down and filled that temple. And the presence of God was so powerful and so thick that the musicians couldn't even continue to play. The priest could no longer minister. Everyone, they couldn't even stand in the presence of God. I'd like to have the presence of God come down like that here. See, that's what happens. He inhabits the praises of his people. And and so when we're focused, we're like a faucet that can be turned on. And now the Spirit of God can come down into us and through us. And so now this becomes a place where God's presence dwells in a unique way. There's a sense in which God is present everywhere, yes. But there's a unique dimension of God's presence when his people are together praising him. Uh, we become conduits of the presence of God. And see, this is why in worship, in the presence of God, often it can happen that the things that we believe begin to be experienced as real. This is a problem that all of us are up against. We believe Jesus is real, but sometimes it just doesn't feel that way, right? We believe he's forgiven us, but we don't always feel forgiven. We believe he's got the power to change us, but we don't always feel, experience that power. But see, when we're worshiping and we're all zeroed in on him and we're, we're singular in our focus... Now we're conduits whereby the, the reality of God comes down. And, and now we're in the presence of the one who, who forgives us, the presence of the one who transforms us. Now the elevator from our head to our heart can finally begin to run both ways. Sometimes there's a gap there. But here's where often people get it. You know, I can talk about grace and I can talk about love, but it, it's often in, in, a, in a context of worship where all of a sudden the coin drops in the slot and they experience it. And it's that that transforms us more than anything else. Um, sometimes it can even happen that worship becomes a form of evangelism. This has happened here. When people are, are all zeroed in and focused and poured out in worship of, of God, the presence of God comes down, and sometimes even unbelievers, even unbelievers, sometimes have experienced the reality of, of Jesus Christ and have come into the kingdom for that reason. This is worship evangelism. And so think about this. Not just for your sake, not just for God's sake do we need to worship, but for each other's sake. We need one another to be focused because either we're helping the flow of the the Spirit or we're hindering the flow of the Spirit. And so there are people around us who need to feel the presence of God, even if you don't. So for their sake, we have a responsibility. For all we know, someone coming into the kingdom, that may hang in the balance on whether or not we make a choice To envision Jesus Christ or to keep on thinking about the Vikings or our Bills. Think about that. We're in this together. But when we together are focused, man, the beauty of His presence coming down can be powerful. And see, when the presence of God comes down, here's what else happens. We enter into a state of warfare. Worship is a form of spiritual warfare. Because when the presence of God comes down, all forces of darkness get crushed. They've got to flee. And see, throughout the week, people, when they come to church, you know, we, we, some people get, are, have been pounded on all week long by the enemy. Folks have been polluted all week long just by the enemy and the pollution in the culture. There are people who come to this service or who are listening through podcasts who've got bondages that have, that, this little demonic things, tentacles that have gotten onto them. And so they come with strongholds in their mind and attitudes of hostility towards other people or they've got the pollution of demonic energy in them that causes them to have entertaining thoughts of hostility or, or they're in bondages to various addictions or their, the enemy has been beaten up their family and their marriage is suffering because of it or the relationship with their kids are suffering because of it. Or sometimes they come and they've got a demonic dimension to some of their illnesses. And see, if we can be focused, and we all have a responsibility to do this, not just for our own sake, but for others. If we're focused and sold out and our imagination is locked in, then the presence of God comes down. And when the presence of God comes down, that's when strongholds are broken. Praise God. When the presence of God comes down, that's when captives are set free. When the presence of God comes down, and that's when people can experience healings. When the presence of God comes down, that's when marriages can be healed. That's when uh, the souls can be restored. That's when minds can all of a sudden have that hostility and that anger and that bitterness rooted out. When the presence of God comes down, man, all forces of darkness has got to flee. Like when you turn on the light, darkness has got to go. And so for our brother and sister, if not for our own sake, we need to make a commitment, a choice, of where our brain's going to be and where our body's going to be for the next 20, 30 minutes, we worship. It makes all the difference in the world. This is, I think, the most beautiful aspect of corporate worship together. We need to be worshiping on our own for sure. Um, And and that's beautiful and wonderful, but there is a, a unique dimension, a unique power that happens when people of God come and have all agreed to make this decision to be focused and to be sold out. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful things can happen. We don't worship God to get those things, but if we worship God because He's God, we get those things. And I want to see more of those things, don't you? This is this is why, by the way, this is why we have prayer ministers uh, during the worship service, and we encourage people to go forward for prayer uh, because when the when the presence of God is here, uh, there's there's it's just it just it just ups the ante. There's a unique dimension in prayer. And so I encourage people to give you, get in prayer for various needs they have uh, during the worship time. And the job of the worshipers then is to be worshiping as a form of intercession for them. All right? The only other thing I'll say, and then we're going to get into this, uh, is this. It's about the value of diversity in worship. Um, you see, here's the thing. We all, in this culture, are conditioned to think of ourselves as consumers. We live in a narrative of consuming. We are people who earn money to buy things. That's a fundamental aspect of the story of being an American. We're consumers. And and as consumers, we're conditioned to, to always expect to get it our way. Since we're the customer, we always get it our way. And it's inevitable that people apply that to church. Um, and so most people choose churches based on their preferences, uh, do I like it? Does it please me? Does it, am I comfortable here? Do I enjoy the style of the preacher? Do I enjoy the style of the music? Is it what I want? And if one church doesn't have what I want, then I go to a different church that does have what I want. Because I'm the customer. Consumer. I, I get it my way. And see, then what, in, in, with that mindset, and it permeates everything. permeates everything, including the church. Well, then, what churches do is you, you, you market to an audience. Just like they do at Target or Walmart or whatever. And so you're going to be the church that's going to attract this kind of people. And they're going to be the kind of church that attracts this kind of people. And then that affects what kind of worship you play. We'll, we'll, we'll play this kind of worship uh, because this is what our, our people like. So some churches play more kind of contemporary pop. Others play more traditional music. Some play maybe uh, country western. Some play uh, black gospel. You know, All the different kind of varieties there. And everybody gets it their way. And all studies have shown that that most people, most, are most comfortable when they're around people who are like themselves. And so churches sort of self-select. And so it's no surprise that over 90% of the churches in America are over 90% homogenous, where we get to hang out with people that are just like us and who like the same kind of music as us and are at the same stage of life as us, and isn't that wonderful? And it would be wonderful if it wasn't Antichrist. <laughs> <laughs> Only one problem with that. It's Antichrist. Uh, you see, the thing is, folks... Um, Uh, We're not called to be comfortable and not called to get our preferences. We are called as kingdom people to manifest the kingdom. And the kingdom is not homogenous. The kingdom is beautifully diverse. Amen? And we're to manifest as much now of what will be true when the kingdom shows up in fullness. you see a picture of that in Revelation 7, where it says people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation and every culture will come together. And the kings will bring the glory of their nations and they'll all worship before the throne. And the diversity of that, see, is part of the beauty of the worship. Uh, the, the kingdom is all about reversing Babel. The kingdom is all about manifesting the one new humanity that's in Christ. The kingdom is all about manifesting the, the, the kingdom in which there's neither male nor female, neither Jew nor Gentile, where every wall and division has been torn down, and people are, are, are learning to love one another and, and appreciate one another, uh, despite their cultural differences. The kingdom is all about that. And so we as kingdom people have got to manifest that as much as possible. As much as possible here and now. And so we're intentionally diverse in our music styles. Um, now you, you, we have to work around the limitations of musicians and, and who can play what. And I understand that. Even professional musicians have trouble playing music that's from a totally different culture. So you got to try to work around that. And so in any given week, we won't have much diversity. But over a month, we do. We, we find We kind of package it that way. And if we're doing it right... And and we're just barely doing it right. I think we're strategizing how we can be moving more and more in this direction. But see, if we're doing it right, then no one's going to be getting everything they want. If we're doing it right, then everybody will sometimes get music that's natural to them, and other times have to deal with music they don't like. But see, it's a sign of maturity in Christ when we're learning how to when we're learning how to crucify our preferences. Uh, Churches that cater to preferences keep people as infants because they never learn how to get out of their the, the little pacifier of their preferences. Uh, we're, it's a sign of maturity when we can crucify our preferences and not, learn not just to tolerate someone else's kind of music, but actually enter into it and appreciate it. And that doesn't, that doesn't come out automatically, but see, whether you can sing to a song or not, you can still worship, because worship isn't about the style, it's about the focus in the style and and though there are songs maybe that you can't keep a beat to or you can't sing to you know I hear that all the time I, I, I don't even know where the downbeat is well that's fine you can still have your mind focused on Jesus and as much as possible about Jesus and, and and just know that somebody else is getting blessed by this even though you're having trouble tolerating it someday if you hang in there you'll be able to appreciate it and there'll be a sign that you've grown a little bit you see and so it, it's really a, a thing about discipleship why we're intentionally diverse here um And there'll be weeks you'll love it and weeks that you don't. Uh, but hang in there. I encourage you. Don't, 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 don't be addicted to the pacifier. Uh, you'll, you'll grow. You'll grow and you'll find there's a beauty there you didn't know about if you'll let yourself be expanded. I'd like to ask the worship teams to come back up here. We're going to continue by taking up an offering and then we'll enter into a time of communion. Uh, and so as we set that up, let me just pray here. I forgot to mention this at the beginning, though. I, it's totally out of place here, but I want to say it. I so appreciate Jessica's message last week. Was that not just... That was... Uh, she was. Um, she's one of the kingdom revolutionaries that I've been kind of mentoring... And I, from the first time I talked with her, I just felt something on her. With her testimony, her story, God's going to use that in powerful ways, but what a a blessing she is. So pray with me here. Father, I, I just pray now, Lord, that you'll, by the power of your Spirit, draw us in to set aside everything, everything, everything else and to have only Jesus on our mind. And Holy Spirit, will you help us? Uh, to worship now with all five senses inside. Uh, to envision, to see, to hear, to sense the reality of who we're singing to and what we're singing about. Because it's all about you and it's only about you. And that's all that matters. And so to describe worth to you right now, we, we commit to being poured out here and now in worship of you in Jesus' name. Amen. Life is to know. Me. May all the goals bow down to me. this journey of love. In, the in all things, we know that we are more than conquerors. You Keep us by your love. By you keep us by your love, you keep us by. Your I'm totally totally slaughtered right now. (laughs) You ministered to me. I don't know how you felt about it, but see, when people are focused together, man, there's such a reality that just hits you. How deep is this love? How high? How wide? Uh, It's one thing to know about it. It's another thing to taste it. I pray that we can, next week when we come together, have the same focus. And... um, so much can happen when that, when that takes place. Amen. It can be so beautiful. Um, if you'd like to stand for those tables, uh, for those series we have coming up, I encourage you to stop by at the hub. And if you want, if you're interested in that uh, conference coming up or that party coming up, stop by at the hub. They've got posters there. Um, everything else is at the hub. <laughs> well, Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your love keep teaching us keep taking our ashes and turning it into beauty in Jesus name amen amen God love on the world <sighs>